everybody, and welcome back to Left Inside. I'm Paul Murphy. I'm going to be your host this week. I'm joined by Dave Murphy. Hello. I'm joined by Jesse Kelly. Hi, how's it going? And I'm joined by longtime listener, first-time contributor, Jess Spear. <laughs> Hi. So this week we're going to take a bit of a break from the doom and gloom of the economy, of the news, of government formation, to discuss what we're all watching under lockdown. So without further ado, Dave, why don't you kick us off and tell us why Contagion proves that there's a conspiracy by Hollywood, which is now being implemented in the form of coronavirus. Well, so um, Contagion, to bring us back to the doom and gloom that we're all living through. Yeah, it's not much of a break from everyday news, is it, Dave? (laughs) Well, just first, there's going to be spoilers here, so people should... If you haven't watched it in the nine years it's been out or the four months we've been living through a pandemic, you probably are never going to watch it. <laughs> um, but I watched this about five weeks ago now at this stage. And since then, I feel like I'm an extra in this film, okay? Um, so, Contagion, it, it just it feels like I'm actually just living the film. Like, I've started to look for it for things like, how will I survive this? Uh, is there stuff here that can get me through? Have you ransacked any pharmacies later looking for like dodgy homeopathic therapies? Not yet. That's probably the one thing. The looting is probably the one thing that hasn't happened. But when the internet was crashing there constantly a couple of weeks ago, I thought that might have been a, <laughs> been a spore for it, you know. So can anyone tell us what, what happens in this film? It's exactly like real life. Like if I'd watched it nine years ago, I would have thought it was far-fetched. But since everything's happened, like the film is quite uh, on point in terms of of science and weirdly in terms of everything that's actually happened. So there's an outbreak of a disease of a virus in China, which then quickly spreads across the world. Quite like coronavirus is spread through coughing and sneezing and droplets. Um, There's lots of deaths. There's attempts to contain the virus. There's social distancing, there's hospitals being overwhelmed, there's panic buying, there's looting. Then there's like the search for a virus or for a vaccine. And then there's like conspiracy theorists. So it has the whole A to Z of coronavirus contained within it. And it's just, it's it's really well researched, it seems to be. But just compared to what we're living through now, it's like, it's like it's a prediction. Except like the US, right? I mean, in in the film, the US plays like this leading role of finding the vaccine and organizing the response. And like they play like this clear leading role. Whereas today, I don't know, like they're they're definitely the laggards, obviously because of Trump. Nothing against any of the people working real hard in America, but it's it's so obviously um, a contrast there. And the crazy conspiracy theorist guy um, who tries to scam everybody by promoting this particular medicine, saying it's going to cure everybody. Like, in the film, he gets caught, he gets locked up, I think, at the end. Whereas, in real life, someone very like that is actually in power in the form of Donald Trump. Well, you can imagine my surprise when I watched it a few weeks ago, and then about four days later, Donald Trump comes out and starts, like, pushing this medicine, like, you know? And I was like he is the conspiracy theorist guy like you know yeah you also see him in uh, alex jones you know i don't know if people were looking at that he's like 
promoting silver toothpaste as like the ultimate cure for every strain of coronavirus. Um, and he's actually been uh, served a cease and desist order by the FDA. Wow. He is literally like, yeah, he's making money off it. Like, and that's the thing. I think that's what contagion shows is that like, it's not people were stupid to kind of follow your man on the internet's advice. And it's just more so like desperation, you know? And I think that is like, you're seeing today with coronavirus people are desperate to get out of the situation we're in and so they will turn to extreme measures but yeah Alex Jones like I feel like they portrayed him well in the film in terms of like that kind of slimy you know guy he just like power hungry and like I don't know he gets like mind control and like I don't know (laughs) it's just kind of weird. Yeah one of the things that was different from the film and from today was just how quickly people died and so you had such a panic and people were really scared and it looked like it was killing people left and right, regardless of their health, regardless of age, all of that. And so people, you know, are seen looting pharmacies and things like that and looking for quick fixes, whereas the situation today is very different. Um, and actually, it made me feel like it was less believable, maybe because I only watched it very recently. I didn't watch it five weeks ago. But I was like, oh, how could it spread so quickly if they're just killed immediately, you know? But the other thing is, like, when, when I saw it, I thought, yeah, this is, like, crazily realistic in terms of the discussion of the or zero, the reproductive rate, the social, like, the phrase social distancing. You're, like, I don't remember ever hearing that phrase before in my life. And now it's obviously... You know, I say it so many times every day and it's a part of the news every day. But then you watch this film from however many years ago and it's there. Um, but when you think about it, it's I mean, they didn't make this stuff up. They researched it by looking at things like SARS and the fact that, like, in particular in Asia, you have had pandemics like this. You've had responsive society luck to some degree like what we're having now. And presumably they basically looked at that and then, like, scaled it up on a world uh, scale. Yeah, that was definitely the weirdest part of watching it. Like, I only watched it the other day and, like, just hearing the exact language being used now for coronavirus, it was just freaky. Like, um, and even like they had their facts right, you know, like the touching your face two, two to three thousand times a day, um, and like seeing it in a Hollywood movie, and then like actually hearing it on the news is just like a really jarring kind of comparison. But I think Kate Winslet character, she was the only one that kind of knew what she was on about most of the time in the film. Like she had all the facts. And then they just sent her off on her own to go investigate this deadly virus that no one knew anything about. And oh, and then she died. Yeah, like, it's so weird. <laughs> they just, like, no backup, no help. Like, that's right. off you go. You can find out what's going on. <laughs> that was, like, sad, I thought. <laughs> the movie kind of highlights the role of women um, yeah. and really makes them the heroes of the movie. Like, not only Kate Winslet, who really just steps in and immediately yeah. tells people what they need to do, um, and obviously sacrifices herself in the end, but also the uh, virologist that found the vaccine and just decided, you know what, we don't have time for trials. I'm just going to inject it into my leg and then go visit my sick father. But it's, it's interesting because typically Hollywood movies have a male protagonist and hero and... I mean, the other thing, it's interesting that in at the end of the film, they, they do... Say in America, they distribute the the vaccine on a somewhat like democratic basis. I by your birthday. Get, by your day birthday, yeah, that's right. Uh, and mm-hmm. it says a lot of your birthday, and then you know when you're going to get it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like in real life, 
you know, the profit motive, the vaccines will be owned by pharmaceutical companies. They'll try and make as much profit as they can from it. That's the reality. I mean, I think it's 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 possible that you can have mass pressure from below, the states forced to step in and have some sort of thing, but it's much more likely that the whole thing is badly distorted by the impact of profit. I mean, even right now, the search for vaccine is going on in separate places and separate companies without sharing the research because it's something that you can make profit uh, out of. So I think that whole thing was kind of idealised. Yeah, like I think the main thing that stood out to me that was just like unbelievable about it was like the fact that all of humanity just turned on each other within like a minute like there was just like oh yeah there was a slight cue in the pharmacy for this medicine and then suddenly like (laughs) literally everyone just loses their shit and like starts hitting each other um and it's like was was it not because they said they only had so much of that medicine to give out yeah Yeah, but they started losing everything they started losing the supermarket then as well like people are going mad trying to get we're going mad trying to get toilet roll like you know that was the panic button. Yeah, but I, definitely not the same extent. As, like, did you see, like, it was, like, day 14 or I think it was, like, day 20 or something. And there was just, like, bin bags piled That's high right. in the streets. And, like, no one does anything to, like, you know what I mean? It's just, like, I don't think it was ex- as extreme. You know, we did see a few, like, video clips of people hoarding toilet paper from shops. But definitely not to the extent that it was shown in, like, Contagion, I think. Like, I think the mass of the population are better, have more of a sense of solidarity than is portrayed in the film. Like, I agree there are some good heroes and good characters and stuff, but the idea that society just, like, breaks down immediately, people are all just out for themselves, that's not actually how things have happened. Um, I, I accept that it's different if you had, like, the, you know, quick deaths, people just, like, huge, huge numbers of people dying extremely quickly, faster than coronavirus, maybe. But actually, I think, you know, that people go towards solidarity, towards helping other people that's there in people. And actually, that's what's shown uh, in the real response of people to the coronavirus. And, and, and there are elements of that in an individualistic way, in the film, so doesn't someone get? It wasn't I saw. Doesn't someone get a, get the vaccine for themselves, but actually go and give it to someone to give it to their kids? Do you remember? It's like the head of the CDC or something. Uh, I, I call him the Tony Hulahan character. Right? <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> they're all based on somebody in real life, like you know. It's the only way I can I can relate to it, you know. But yeah, that that's the mad thing. Like I, I think like like if we look at what happened in real life in terms of like how capitalism had to be like put on hold and like people's lives maintained and the film is just sort of like ignored all that and it was just like people will just go crazy and start looting the places and i think like that's one of the for all that this film is scientifically accurate which like you know people from the the world health organization praised it when it came out etc um i think like they tried to portray this thing that like you know the working classes the lower downs will all go crazy while those at the top maintain control and in reality like you have Trump, you have Bolsonaro, who are the people like are losing the plot, like doing everything wrong. While ordinary people have maintained, you know, solidarity and uh, social distancing, and I think that's probably, you know, what I mean, when Hollywood gets things wrong, like they just presume it's gonna go Mad Max, like. But <laughs> in reality, <laughs> in reality, like Trump set up has like a, a debt cult around them now. <laughs> I think they hinted at it a little bit, like, but not fully. Like, I think, you know, your man Cheever's telling the person that he knew to, like, leave the city first before, like, quarantine started. You know, that's, like, realistic in terms of, like, 
you know the people at the top who find out the information first are going to protect themselves and their loved ones first before they like deal with the public i think you've seen that with your man um in britain what's his name the fellow who was like the advisor ferguson yeah um going to see his mistress after he his advice led to the lockdown <laughs> like you know and then like and the same thing happened with the scottish version yeah she was caught going to our holiday home but also all the u.s politicians went into they got a, like a the equivalent of a hse briefing got told that this stuff's really serious and they went and sold all their stock before it was publicized um and I mean, I was going to say they've all been caught. Obviously, the ones that have been caught have been caught. We don't know if there's others who also did it, but um, it came out and a number of them are implicated and are in serious trouble over here. Mm-hmm. And your man in the film got caught as well, which was good, I guess. But it, like, it was kind of showing like that was the one bit of weakness from the leadership. And also, like, I mean, he told his partner to get out because he was concerned about her dying. That is complete opposite of you know, Congress people who are already uh-huh. multimillionaires trying to make even more money before the economy tanks, you know, um, it kind of makes them out to be bigger heroes than the real life versions. Mm-hmm. I thought there was one line when Kate Winslet was talking to, I think it was the Minnesota Department of Health. And um, first of all, I thought it was weird because they were like really unaware of everything, even though they seemed to be like the head of this big department of health and they were like what's that and oh wow and like all this but then I remember Kate Winslet said like yeah we have to like shut down the country this is like you know bigger than everyone thinks it is and one of the women were like but it's like the biggest shopping holiday of the year like what you can't because it was like Thanksgiving or something and then I thought that was good but they did I don't think they went further into that like the actual lens like the governments around the world are taking to you know reopen shops now and stuff like that because they're so worried about the economy and like well like this thing jesse was saying about like the reaction like about oh it's the biggest shopping weekend of the year you know i think like you're starting to see that like and it's not coming from like ordinary people it's coming from like business at the moment in the last few days um all these pub owners coming out like and saying oh we need to reopen oh yeah we've got this plan yeah and it's, <laughs> it's being driven by like the big like vintage federation and the alcohol industry and like that's purely what it is and surely people see that like and it's not coming from below but the government left it really open in, in their plan they said if any industry can come and show us how they can do it then they'll be we'll let them open earlier so they just like opened up the doors for first of all the pubs came out then the hairdressers came out another industry was out the other day literally every single day there's a new industry saying oh we don't really need the lockdown and like if you say yes to any substantial number of these industries, then you completely undermine the idea of a lockdown. Um, and that's like a big thing we're going to be campaigning on the next while is the idea that no workplace should reopen unless workers are confident that they're going to be safe. They have risk assessments, they have elected safety reps, they have unions in because the pressure from the companies will be reopen, maximize profits. And they're like invited to advocate for us on a industry-wide basis at the moment all right i think think that thoroughly concludes the discussion on contagion from my point of view unless anyone has some final hot takes no let's move to too hot to handle too hot to handle next so we're, we're taking we started at a pretty low cultural level uh, we're going to go lower again 
So Jess, too hot to handle. What does it have to say about modern society? <laughs> oh gosh, people can't keep their hands off each other, I think. <laughs> Has anybody else seen this or is it just me? Like I saw one episode. I saw clips from it. I like I've seen people sharing stuff online. From what I can take, it's like Love Island, but no touching. Oh, you're just flicking through the channels, are you? Well, no, I've seen people sharing memes and kind of like stuff like that online. I don't know. <laughs> I never saw Love Island. Like I, I just was so bored and thought, oh, I'll watch this because I saw Love is Blind and I really loved Love is Blind. I watched a few episodes of that. That's mental. That, <laughs> the people who got engaged. Is that the show where they don't see each other? Where, where they talk to each other through a wall or something? Yeah. Love is yeah. Blind is good. Oh, they don't just talk to each other like they really fall in love, Dave. I mean, you at the end, you're just cheering Lauren and Cameron on like they're so amazing. But Too Hot to Handle is like, what, a dozen sexy people all in this like resort area. And then they're told, dun, 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 you're not allowed to have sex with each other. <laughs> just like, what? How am I going to go without sex? Oh, I've never gone without sex for a whole day. <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know about you, but like, I think national TV cameras on you 24-7 would really put you off the idea of having sex. Like, I don't know. Like I think they ply people with drinking all these shows. Right. I think the only explanation, you see them just drinking all the time, is the only way people lose their inhibitions and forget, or not forget that they can't, but decide not to emphasize the fact that the camera is there. Yeah, they've got like these gold cups. I noticed in Love, and Love is Blind that they went mm-hmm. away from clear glasses of wine and obvious alcohol to these gold cups that they're all holding. And then in Too Hot to Handle, they all have gold cups all the time and they're clearly drinking all the time. The whole purpose of it is, is that like they go in, they're flirtatious around each other, but they're not allowed to do anything. Yeah, you, they, there's a, how much is it, 100,000? 100,000 dollars or something? 100,000 dollars, yeah. It's not even, so $100,000 is is like in the pot. Every sexual act that happens on the island reduces the money from the pot for all of them. And I think like at the end, those who were left get to divide up the money between them or something like that. I, I, I haven't got through it all. So, but that's, that's like the thing. Yeah, so like a kiss costs $3,000. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> getting it on, I think, costs 20 grand or something Jeez. like that. Because <laughs> some of them break the rules. Like, because they fancy each other. And then, you know, when you first fancy somebody, you're super into them. And then I think the alcohol, the really beautiful scenery, they're all super hot people, you know. So I think, yeah, they, they end up losing money for each other and a bit of infighting happens there. And it's good, you guys. You have to watch it. And how big a show is this? Like, are they, all these people on the road now to becoming... No, it's not a big show, is this? I have no idea. I think maybe it was, like, number two or three in Ireland. You know how Netflix tells you now, mm. like, what everybody in Ireland's watching. So I don't think it ever made number one, like, Love is Blinded. It'll show. never top Tiger King for yeah. kind of trashy uh, pandemic watching. Presumably now all these people come out then and they'll have a level of fame. Well, that's what Love Island has become, I think. It's just like people to become famous. They go on Love Island and they get like a contract with some sort of clothing brand and they kind of set their career up from there is what it seems to be. Oh, so that's the lure. Okay, I didn't realise that. I don't think it was at the start, but then it's very much so become like that, I think. But it's the effects of like Big Brother when that started 20 years ago. And now you have, Mm. like, you had... What was it that happened? <laughs> what, in like 20 years of Big Brother? <laughs> no, there was loads of characters who like had sex on, on it yeah. or 
and then like they came back out and they were either like slut shamed mm. or else they were like held up as heroes. There was all this type of stuff going on. Big Brother definitely set the scene for that, I think. Like yeah. reality TV, like how big it is now. Um, Big Brother are one of the first to do it. So All right. I think we're gonna try and raise this culture level again. Mm-hmm. Up to the height of this program. Jesse, you're writing a review of normal people, I heard. I am. Yeah, not so much a review, more so kind of about what Sally Rooney's doing and how it's resonating with people. Like I I'm definitely not gonna give spoilers for normal people because I think people are watching it for the first time and haven't read the book. So we're not going into the full detail of it. Maybe we can come back to it on another episode at some point. But yeah, I think Sally Rooney's a brilliant writer and I think that she writes about things that affect young people, things that young people are thinking about at the moment. So like she doesn't shy away from politics, but she doesn't do it in a really like prescriptive way either. I think it's like mm-hmm. doesn't bang you over the head with it. Exactly. Like it's like an enjoyable story. But also she discusses class. She discusses mental health problems. She discusses the housing crisis. Like, it's pretty cool that it's become so widely popular um, and it has such a, like, Marxist politics at the heart of it. It's really cool. Most of my knowledge of it comes from the big row on the Joe Duffy show last week. You couldn't miss the... You, you couldn't miss the fallout from it when Joe Duffy was being proclaimed as a feminist icon on, um, on Twitter. <laughs> why, like, why you know? was he, I didn't see that bit. Yeah, there, there, there was a priest that called up and he was saying how his parishioners had contacted him. He was like giving out hoping that Joe would come in and moralise against it, you know, and then I can't believe I'm praising Joe Duffy here or bigging him up. Uh, <laughs> <you know laughs> I can't I mean? believe it either. <laughs> a man I've spent most of my life hating. But like Joe, instead of like going in with it, like, you know, going in with the priest and being like on a crusade, like, you know, uh, he was like, well, you know what they can do? they can put down their hand, pick up their remote and change the channel, you know. <laughs> like, All right, he yeah. obviously really liked the scenes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's usually like a pitchfork type of guy. Like, What did you make of the first episode then? So far I thought not a lot had happened. I was, they were in school. Um, there was obviously the, you know, like the class point about like his mother working for her family. Um, and then obviously... The lo- like the love story sort of starts then he goes plays guy he does all this type of thing um, but nothing really had happened at that stage I think like the beauty of it is like it's a very simple story you know it's like boy meets girl and it's like quite Romeo and Juliet type style you know he's from a lower class background she's very rich and you know they star across the rivers type thing and like it could be overdone, it could be overplayed, but the way in which it's done by Sally Rooney, I think, is like nuanced enough and relatable as well. Like, I don't know, I'm watching it, you know, I'm just finished college now, and like watching it, it was very realistic, but I, th- I thought it was funny because I think uh, like a kind of relationship like this and like people this age in Ireland haven't been portrayed in like an honest way before I think that's why it's shocking people I think that's why people are like oh my god this is crazy because you know it shows them doing drugs it shows them drinking having parties it shows them like having sex and like some people are kind of like what like is this really what young people are like but yeah I, I think it's like really true to the experience of going through college and falling in love for the first time and yeah I think that's why it's so good yeah I mean I'm 20 years 21 years out of high school and it 
it's like going back in time, you know, and mm -hmm. your first love and discovering not only each other and your bodies and all of that, but discovering the world around you, trying to understand the world around you and this person that you draw into your orbit that you explore that with. And um, mm -hmm. I think that's something that only happens at that time in your life. Later on, you have a lot of ideas that have kind of been rammed into your head. And so you view everything through that prism. But in high school, the combination of like emotional discovery and discovery of yourself and the world around you is quite a unique combination of things to happen. And the way that it's told on screen, and I haven't read the book, but it, it really does feel real. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's probably true, not only for people of my age and Jesse's age, but even the people given out, like, if they had any type of experience like that in high school, surely it rang true for them as well. But I do think there's probably some of the people who are given out about it didn't have experiences like that in oh, secondary that's, school that's because <laughs> because of things being really repressed. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not, of course, still people had relationships and sex, but Ireland is a very repressive society and people weren't able to express themselves. And even... There's still like remnants of that in the show, which I think is interesting in the sense of like, he's a very sympathetic character. He's a very likable character, but he has a very bad, unhealthy relationship with her in school, um, which rings very true. Mm -hmm. You know, those kind of relationships definitely exist when people are, are young and it's rooted in like, it is rooted in a certain sexism and a sexist society and a view of her. And it's like fundamentally abusive of her. Um, but it's interesting because that's kind of counterposed with and exists side by side with the fact that when he's with her, he's very, you know, good with her. And like, there's a, I heard someone on the radio made a really good point about like um, the sex scene where they first have sex. It's like actually a model of how consent should operate on this continuous basis that like they're checking at each step are you okay with this if you're not okay with this there's no problem and it and it shows how you know consent doesn't have to be this like really weird cold thing but actually can be incorporated into people's real love and sex lives so he's like super progressive in terms of this but then at the same time in school treats her in this like really horrific way which he, he recognizes later and um, the other person i mean i think the show's great um the, the best character in it from my point of view is his mother his mother is like just like a hero like mm -hmm. you know and the way like his mother takes her side against him and she's, she's very impressive i think she could be seen as slightly unrealistic in certain ways as she kind of just seems delighted with everything and like it's a, she's a lovely character she's really like you say she's like such a hero but like she's also like i don't know she just seems delighted too delighted <laughs> you know i feel like um, maybe slightly unrealistic in that sense but I think for people who aren't able to relate to it in the same way like you're saying I think it's because like it deals with themes of like that are more recently becoming openly discussed like consent really is only like quite a recent like discussion that's being had amongst young people nowadays like in the last kind of 10 years five years even um in the way that we know it today you know and like you're saying like being that open and like communicative communicative between like partners and stuff um but also like mental health and left-wing politics which are becoming like much more increasingly popular amongst young people in Ireland um and not like popular but you know what I mean like more talked about in terms of like pe more and more people young people nowadays are going to like um go into 
counseling services and stuff like that and actually talking about their feelings more so and being encouraged to do that more so and I think like it gets that really well in the book um in terms of like Connell's experience with his mental health and how you know being that character in school where he's popular and you know nothing can touch him and then like going to university and kind of being a very small fish in the big pond and like I don't I think it, it gets really well the like kind of radicalization you go through when you go to university because like for me especially like coming from a small town um in Bailiwick Cavan and then moving to Galway and like you know first like getting a glimpse at kind of like left-wing circles and I thought it was like really really well done I think like that scene is hilarious when he's talking to the guys who are on like the Lit and Deb Society oh yeah <laughs> and they're like oh yeah but like free speech and like and Connell's like but sorry this guy's a Nazi and they're like yeah but like if you say he can't speak then no one can speak and it's kind of like it's funny because it's all those characters and they're so realistically done they're sort of like obnoxious people in the program <laughs> And they're very real, you know, Some yeah. certain types of people in university who are up themselves. It's all like he makes a point. This is interesting, which is a class point about the people mm-hmm. in his class who feel confident to speak about the books, even though they haven't read the books. Whereas he like he's the best in the class, but he feels the need. He doesn't have that like innate upper middle class confidence of these like awful people. And he feels the need to actually read the book and know what he's talking about in order to do it. Um, I think that really rings true. Um, I mean, S- Sally Rooney, I think, has described that she writes from a Marxist perspective. Mm-hmm. So where, where is where is the Marxism in the show? Well, I, I think that point you just made there, but like the kind of like you know more educated opinions that these kind of middle class people have and I say educated it's like like you're saying Connell actually is the one who understands the readings best and you know isn't able to articulate it in the same way obviously he gets better as he goes on and he like learns more um in terms of like how to say the points um in a more articulate way but like I've seen an interview Sally Rooney did and um she makes the point that like you couldn't kind of like buy your way into this kind of middle class upper class uh circles by buying books you know and if you list off all these books that you've read you could kind of like even fake it till you make it type thing or kind of you know um and she said it's like I think she was kind of making the point that it's like really unfortunate that you know lower class people working class people are not so often have that opportunity to read these kind of like classics or whatever you know this idea um and then aren't seen as, you know, as intelligent, as educated um, as other people who are able to like afford to buy all these books and afford this like higher education as well. And I think like that's a big part of the Marxist politics that she's kind of trying to discuss with normal people. I think also the the situation that the people grew up in, like their environment very mm-hmm. much shaping and heavily influencing their ideas about themselves and the world around them. It's very Marxist, you know, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. um, and can I just add, like, is everybody at Trinity and UCD, like high cultured and drinking wine all the time? And Not when I was there anyway. <laughs> I don't know what I saw, but I find that a bit like <laughs> unrealistic. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm American. Uh-huh. So maybe American universities are a lot lower in culture, but <laughs> Is no, it? it's true. I think it's overstated. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a first year university, the way they sit around and they're always studying as well, like. Yeah, when I used to see people like that, I'd be like, ah, oh, 
<laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay clear of them. You know. Are you were an English student, Dave, weren't you? I, I, I was an English student. Yeah. So you'll be able um, to watch it and tell us how realistic it is. Yeah. Um, but I think like in terms of like like when I thought about the show and like I'd read some reviews in terms of like this like Marxist analysis in the like it immediately struck me with like that's why like I want to watch it like and I thought the first episode was good that like it's sort of like like elements of like a really old love story that's been around for centuries in terms of like the lower class and the upper class so like I was really interested in terms of seeing like well what gives it this different analysis like because it's you know what I mean like the genesis of these stories have been around for centuries, like, you know, and, like, what's different in it? And I thought that was done, in ter- like, done well in terms of their different backgrounds, etc. And it obviously comes more to the fore uh, when they go to college. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Sally Rooney gave you a shout-out in an interview, Paul, recently, didn't she? Um, yeah, I was going to say that, actually. You're <laughs> you're on a radar, Paul. Yeah, I think she was asked about our Marxism and she was making the comment about the left, like, and how the Marxist left are attacked. And it gave the example of 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 Paul, like that they'll say, oh, they refer to Paul as like privately educated Paul Morphy, uh, but they won't say that about like you know privately educated, mm-hmm. like generic Finnegaler or generic Fianna Faller. And I think like that's that's interesting that you have somebody who's being held up now, like actually given that analysis, and it's probably reflective of where society is. It was actually I read an interesting blog post review of it, and it was actually it was about this private education thing because it made the point that. Like, it's an unusual thing that in the school in Sligo, you have Marianne, who's, you know, upper middle class, whatever. Um, interestingly, the house that her, that the thing is set in is actually Shane Ross's family home. So she's like literally the big house kind of upper middle class or ruling class in Sligo. And she's in the same school as Connell, who lives in what looks like a council house. And like, mm-hmm. that's kind of a unique, like rural thing that doesn't exist in Dublin, you know, in the sense of like obviously you do have a crossing of and a mixing of classes in school, but it's less to the extent where like more middle class people in Dublin are going to private schools and getting big subsidies from the state. Obviously they, they shouldn't exist. And then there's more working class schools, whereas you have this mix that that is definitely a rural thing. Yeah, and like to see that relationship is really interesting, I think, and that's why it's so captivating the story. Like, I think that I'm not sure if it's in the TV show, but in the book, there's a scene where they actually like uh, directly address it. And Marianne says, like, do you resent me? Because I have always been richer than you. And this is like when they've both kind of found their feet in college. And, you know, Marianne obviously found it easier than Connell um, on the way. But um, I think he, he turns back to her and he says, like, oh, well, I never really thought about it in that way, you know, but it's like there was you know there definitely was resentment and that's where like he first thinks about it and like to be able to draw someone so directly to that aspect without kind of like you know shoving it in your face without kind of I don't know writing you know this is why this is Marxism you know what I mean like without that kind of clunky mannerism um to do it in a story that's actually really enjoyable and really easy to read and really, you know, really good to watch, like Lenny Abrahamson as well. I think he's done a really good job, like stayed really true to the book with the TV show. Um, but yeah, to do it in that way, I think that's why it's so successful and so popular. And yeah, I think it's great. I agree. Yeah, I mean, there's like I often when people are like, you have to watch this political show. Sometimes I just like 
I'm tired, like, after doing mm-hmm. politics all day. And sometimes I might actually really like it, but sometimes I'm just, like, not in the mood for it. Whereas I found this exactly, like, having a Marxist perspective helps you to interpret, understand, and portray aspects of the world. And it does it in a very, very natural and enjoyable way. Um, we might wrap up on that. I think we'll probably have to come back once Dave has watched all of Normal People and can compare it to his experience as an English student. <laughs> um, and we may try and get other experts from Lenny Abramson to Sally Rooney to people who just like normal people on for a further discussion about it. Thanks a million, everybody, for listening. Please do share it with your friends. We'll be back next week. Same time, same various podcast places. Thanks a lot. You wake up and your head's fucked. You stick your trousers on and you last bit of makeup. Your last coat button falls away.